Hello everyone and welcome to the Arsenal Way. And yes, we have an episode back, a very special episode that hasn't been here for a while, analysing Arsenal. And of course, I'm here with Josh Williams, aka Distant Covered, just to go through the last night's game. Now, Josh, you mentioned that we haven't done a show since Arsenal lost to Liverpool. Are you saying that the Arsenal are hiding from analysing the defeats that we have that we have received recently? Well, it's funny, mate, yeah, because I haven't I haven't seen you since since Liverpool game, I think. Um and obviously a bit of bit of turbulent form since. Uh, and we've went off here, so it's not a good look. But um, now we're back after on the back of a win, so hopefully we'll continue. Of course, we are back. We are back indeed. And what a win it was for Arsenal yesterday. Josh, did you expect us? Did you expect us to beat Chelsea four two, or did it go the complete opposite? Or did you expect it? Did you expect us to beat Chelsea? I didn't, to be honest. Uh, and I also thought that if anything, it might be a relatively low scoring game. Uh, obviously, Arsenal have encountered some issues lately in front of goal. Specifically, when it comes to putting the ball in the net, and Chelsea tends to be a, a very sturdy defensive team um, without the ball and, and things like that. So I thought it'd be quite a tight affair, really. So to, for Arsenal to come away with a four-two win, I was quite surprised. But you know, it's the kind of win that can really kickstart the the business end of the season if you like, and Arsenal can really push on now. Yeah, indeed. Now, of course, Tuchel said after the game that the pitch did affect the team's defending, but. In my opinion, it was Arteta's tactics. I think he set up the team excellently. Do you think it was too was too cool right, or was it was it more of the masterclass of, of Mikel Arteta? Well, I actually like when when coaches come out and say this. You know, it, some people are quick to jump on it, and it, it looks it can make the coach look a little bit stupid. But um, I don't mind it when he says things like that. I think Klopp in the past has blamed like the wind and things like that for for losses and stuff, and it does, it's not a great look. I'll be honest, but I always find it particularly insistent. But usually. You hear those reasons after losses, uh, so there must be something in the Arsenal approach that forced Chelsea to play. You know, particularly bad with the ball, lots of mistakes involved in the game, and I think a few of those were enforced at us uh, based on what Arsenal were doing on the defensive side of the game and things like that. So uh, I think Tuchel maybe has a point, but I think he's probably he's probably masking the fact that Arsenal caused them some issues there. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And the way Arteta did set up surprised me before the game. I didn't expect the lineup to be where it was. I was quite shocked. I was quite worried as well before the game. I was thinking, oh, I don't really like this. But it turned out to work out well. He switched between a four at the back and five at the back. He kept interchanging. That is quite rare, isn't it, in the Premier League? It is, and it it, it demands a degree of of, of tactical understanding. Really, it, it it's not easy to do. Teams that usually do that are teams that have worked on a specific coach for a number of years. I suppose that now is the case with Arsenal. But it bodes well as they were able to do that to a high level. Um, very interesting approach. And I think it worked. You know, and the scoreline suggests that it worked as well. Yeah, absolutely. It did work. And for me, in the game against Southampton, of course, Arteta subbed off Nuno Tavares and Cedric. You're both your fullbacks in the game. However, he trusted Nuno Tavares again. And fans have had mixed before mixed uh, pre- mixed predictions about and his opinion sorry about his about his performance yesterday they said he'd done well some said he defended poorly but do you think that game proved that he's really for me he's a left wing back do you, would you agree with that and say he's more, mainly a left wing back and not a left back because he does create many issues for Arsenal defensively but going forward at the same time he's very helpful for the for the offense going forward yeah it's a difficult one that because i think earlier in the season i was i was praising him quite a bit on this show uh, it was when Tierney was out. And I think at the time, he was playing in the back four. He did look quite capable. Um, well, I think one of his biggest perks is his his energy and his mobility. 
And I think that allows him to get up and down the pitch really well. Some some fullbacks, some wingbacks struggle with that. I don't think he's one of them. Um, but I do think in in recent weeks, recent times since I last spoke about him, maybe he has shown some vulnerabilities on the defensive side of the game. And as a result of that, maybe it does make a bit more sense to use him as a wingback. If you think of some of the wingbacks in the Premier League over the years, they do tend to be threatening going forward but maybe not as reliable without without the ball. If you think of like Marcos Alonso and Matt Doherty, you know, Ryan Sessegnon, players like that who aren't that strong defensively, but going forward, forward they can cause problems. So at the time, I didn't actually think Tavares was, you know, you can only play as, as a wing-back. I don't think he's strictly like that, like Alonso, for example. I think you can play him as a, as a back four, full-back if you need to. Uh, but maybe his strengths do lie when he's able to get forward and, and play as a wing-back. Yeah, I agree. I was worried because I think Nuno, I think he's not good enough to be a left-winger, but at the same time, he's not good enough to be a left-back solely on his own. So for yeah. me, just, it kind of narrows him down to the to the left-wing-back position. He's got nowhere else to play, but he did do well yesterday. He technically get two assists, if you want to put it that way, and the defence really did play well yesterday. And another player was, was Robert Holden. Now, Holding he comes into the side as usually as a, as a last 10-minute player, five at the back, sit back, let's go deep, the, lo- the low block, let's not concede any more goals. But yesterday, he did hold his own, didn't he? He did do all right at centre-back. He did, and he's he's one of those players who, um, you know, every now and then you can kind of you can kind of rely on him really for a, a solid maybe six, seven out of ten. He doesn't really drop too far below that. In terms of error-prone players over the years, Arsenal have had a few of them. You know, you think of like Mustafi and players like that. Although Holden... Holden's level isn't isn't that high. From my perspective, maybe I'm wrong. He doesn't make that many mistakes like the likes of Mustafi. As I said, he's quite a reliable presence, and you need those players in your squad. Um, and I think he's he came in there for a for a high profile game, and he's he's put on a solid display. Yeah, he did. He really did. And just moving another player, he did put on a solid display and got a lot of raves and reviews on, on social media last night. That was Mohamed Elneny. They were calling him the Pyramid Perlo. They were calling him the next coming of Sudan. But he was a very, very safe player. Very, You know what you're going to get from Mohamed Elneny. I think he's a he's a different to Samuel Okonga. Samuel Okonga, of course, is more an experience. He wants to impress. But Mohamed Elneny, you know what you're going to get from him. Sideways passing, but he's safe. And that's the type of player you need, don't you, in big games when you're out of form. Three games, three defeats in a row. Just bringing El Nini just to shore up the midfield a little bit. Yeah, I remember watching him a few years back. Actually, in a, in fact, it wasn't that long ago. It was a game at Old Trafford against Man United. He played in midfield with it might have been Party. Yeah, and he absolutely dominated. I thought I thought he was brilliant. Um, and he's similar to Holden in that he's he is quite reliable. You do know what you're getting, as you've just said. You kind of guaranteed maybe at, at minimum a six. Uh, and almost at most a seven, <laughs> yeah. um, but he, he, I think similar to two party in in the sense that you know if you want to keep the system the same way, obviously party is out injured now. You bring Lekonga in, who's a slightly different player. But if you look at what what party was offering in that team, El Nenny probably is the closest profile to that. If you think of the specific contributions party was making and who's best suited to making those contributions in his absence. Um, that you know, that naturally inclined to think about what's going to happen if you lose the ball, as opposed to doing nice things when you're in possession of the ball. Um, and I think El Nani was El Nani suited to that. I do think he's got a he's got a ceiling. Obviously, his ceiling isn't particularly high, but similar to Holden, he he can do a job for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think for me personally, he's a he's a useful player to have in the squad. I think he's quite humble, so he won't complain if he's on a substitute bench. And his contract runs out at the end of the season. And I was having a con uh, talk with Tom Canton earlier in the, end of the day in another show, and he said, "I said personally, I would I would be up for giving him a new contract simply because he's good for squad depth, etc." But Tom Canton told me that teams like Liverpool and Manchester City, they would not want to keep him on because they'll get rid of him and have a top player that will be Keita as their, as their rotation option. But if you are like Arsenal right now, would you offer him a new contract or try to try to have the best players as your rotation option, even if they might not be happy? Yeah, that's a difficult question, actually, without knowing. I mean, I'd, I'd have to consider Arsenal's squad and, and what they need in the summer, how much they need. If they don't need that much... Then I think Tom's probably right in that you can obviously upgrade this player. You know, he's 29 years old. As I've just said, he does have a ceiling. Um, although he's relatively reliable, you can get better players who are reliable. It's kind of as simple as that, really. But then at the same time, if Arsenal have a fair bit of work to do this summer, and I've got to sign a few strikers and things like that, uh, then maybe just as a means of saving time, a means of plugging a gap really until maybe next summer or the summer after maybe you could give El Nenny a, a two-year contract if he was if he was if he would consider that but I'm not really too sure on that one it depends how much business Arsenal have got to do this summer and how much of a priority and who they could get in mm. you know to replace him yeah absolutely I think because Arsenal we're going to need to almost improve in every position a striker position a fullback centre-back maybe even so we can't really get rid of every player that's why I was thinking maybe keep El Nenny just give yeah. him a new contract so we can focus on on other areas of the pitch, but focusing on the same area, the midfield area, is Granit Xhaka. Now, I feel like with Arsenal fans, Granit Xhaka isn't really appreciated. I think if he has a good performance, it's not really spoken about, but if he has a bad performance, then it is, he's quite, he's jumped on, he's quite criticised a lot for it, actually. Just what's your thoughts on Granit Xhaka? Because I think yesterday, the, his build-up for the second goal, when he nutmeg the Alonso and played it out wide, was excellent. Do you, do, you, do you agree? Do you think Xhaka's really important to this Arsenal midfield, or do you think they can easily replace him? Yeah, well, my opinions over the years haven't really changed too much on, on Granit Xhaka. I think he is, at times, error-prone. And I think he is, at times, a bit spontaneous, almost, in, in, in his ability to cause problems for the team in terms of, like, maybe getting himself sent off or doing something that's just crazy out of the norm type thing. But at the same time, specifically when it comes to the data and things like that, he does offer specific perks that not too many of his teammates offer, specifically in, when it comes to um, progressing the ball, basically, from A to B, moving the ball forward, closer to goal, um, playing through the lines, that sort of thing. Uh, so far this season, he's top for Arsenal when it comes to progressive passes per, per 90. Uh, a progressive pass is just, you know, I'm sure you can imagine it. It's 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 a, a completed pass that moves the ball towards the opponent's goal at least 10 yards from its furthest point in the last six passes or any completed pass into the penalty box. So those players who move the ball forwards, if you think of, I mean, plenty of players who do this. So if you think of maybe Xavi or Busquets or Thiago, you know, players like that who, who are going to move the ball forward. You do miss them when they're not there. Uh, so I've always said, like, if Arsenal are going to lose Xhaka, they do need to find someone else who's going to do that because it's it's quite a it's a valuable skill and not, not, every, not every player does it naturally. Um, so I do think he offers value in that sense. And 
I do think, despite his flaws, I do think he he does have leadership qualities about him. He is, you know, he makes himself seen, he makes himself known. Uh, so I do think he's he's quite a valuable player for Arsenal, despite his, his inefficiencies. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think if Mohamed Elneny is in a the team, then Saka's progressive passes is an absolute necessity. And I think it's shown yesterday against Chelsea. And two more players who are also crucial to the team, I think every Arsenal fan are in agreement with this, is Bakayi Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe. Now, of course, they were on the score sheet yesterday. And that now means that both players have now scored uh, over 10 goals in the Premier League. And only other two youngsters, only other two players are in the same team or under the age of 21 have done this in the past. That is Ronaldo and Rooney and uh, Harry Kuehl and Bridges, I believe, from Leeds. What are uh, Saka and Smith-Rowe's uh, ceiling, Josh? Do you think... The fact that they are comparing to almost Ronaldo and Rooney and Kuan Bridges, do you think that's a big, a big saying in where they can reach in the future? I mean, Ronaldo and Rooney is is seriously high, but I, yeah. I do, I do think that in terms of the ceiling of the two players, I do think they are comfortably top four players, and arguably title winning players. I mean, I'm not too sure on that one just yet. I mean, it remains open to debate that one, but I am, I am high on these two players. I think they're very, very good. Uh, they're both very attack-minded, uh, both good in possession of the ball, both willing to work without the ball, uh, both English and homegrown, which is nice when it comes to squad building, uh, specifically in a, in a Brexit market and stuff like that. Uh, and Recently, I actually had a look at players in Europe who were under the age of 21, age 21 or under, sorry, who'd played a minimum of 900 minutes in uh, in Europe's top five leagues uh, and the championship because I did this specifically to look at Fabio Carvalho of Fulham uh, and on the list two Arsenal players are there and one of them is Smith Rowe and one of them is Saka Smith Rowe was above Saka at the time uh, I'm not sure if he will be now but for in fact no Martinelli was also on the list I'm looking at it now so in the, in the top 20 I think this is that I narrowed it down to. Arsenal have three forwards on the list, uh, so it's, it certainly bodes well for the future. Just for a bit of context, at the top of the list is obviously Erling Haaland. Mm-hmm. Second on the list was Florian Wirtz of uh, Bayer Leverkusen. And third on the list was Vinicius Junior of uh, Real Madrid. But for Arsenal to have three forwards in the top 20 for this season, it just kind of offers an insight into how how safe they are really when it comes to future future seasons, development, move, moving forward. And I know that they're after a striker, more than one arguably. But regardless of whether they sign a striker or not, they are well catered for there for the next couple of years when it comes to the forward department. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, the only worry with that is with Martinelli and Smith-Rowe now. Smith-Rowe seems to excel when he's on the left-hand side and so does Martinelli. Do you think there's a way to get all three of them in, in the same team at the same time? Because that hasn't really happened too much this season. I can see potentially them in the same team at the same time, but if if they did, I can't. I don't know where Odegaard then fits in, mm. um, because I would I would probably test if I had to. I would probably test Smith Rowe where Odegaard plays, and I'd keep Martinelli and Saka on the flanks. I think they're naturally just players suited to playing out wide, playing in the wide areas. Whereas Smith Rowe does show something to me that he can play through the centre, which is where Odegaard plays. Uh, but it's a nice thing to have all of these players. You know, if you look at the top clubs around, um, they, 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 have, they have depth 
and if you if you're going for numerous trophies, numerous competitions, which Arsenal are hoping to get in the Champions League, you do need more than one option uh, in, in across different positions. Yeah, of course. You look at Liverpool right now. I believe you have almost five world class forwards <laughs> in, in the squad. I don't know how you keep all those happy, but Jurgen Klopp has his ways. Hopefully, Arsenal <laughs> can do the same with Smith Rowe, Marcelli, and and uh, Bukayo Saka, but we shall see. But speaking about forwards, Josh, uh, Eddie and Kestia now, of course, he has had a lot of critics this season. I've been one of them. I've been one of the biggest, probably. I, I didn't understand how he was still making the first team for Arsenal. I didn't believe he was even Premier League quality. But do you think the game against Chelsea really showed that maybe he's got something to him that we didn't really understand? Yeah, he looked good. Um, uh, the way I've previously perceived him, I, haven't, I must admit I haven't watched that much of him, but the way I've previously looked at him is... He is the type of player who you, you, you kind of don't you don't involve him until the very end of the move, and then when it comes to the end of the move, he'll be the player who puts the ball in the net. And other than that, he doesn't really get involved very much. When it comes to putting the ball in the net, I've seen him to be pretty good at doing that. He is quite clinical based on what I've seen over the years. But in terms of contributing to an all-round game, I haven't seen that much of that. But I think in this game, I do think he put himself about a bit. I do think he got involved. I haven't looked at the numbers or his, you know, his passing network or anything like that. But he did seem he, he did seem up for it. And I do think, considering, is he 20? 20 yeah. years old? I think he's 22, 22 now. Yeah, well, he's the type of player who maybe this summer Arsenal shouldn't really push out the door, maybe give him a bit of time. Maybe you don't have to sign two strikers, maybe just sign one. Um but it depends how he's going to develop moving forward. I'm not really too sure yet when it comes to him, where his his ceiling is, how good he can be, what his level is. Uh, I am inclined to think that maybe it's between 10th in the Premier League and maybe top five in the Championship. Uh, so mm. around that somewhere, maybe. But he could he could be he could prove to be better than that. Maybe I'll be wrong. Yeah, I agree with you. I think low Premier League, that's what I've always believed, low Premier League at most. But that game against Chelsea was interesting. And for me also, maybe for our future striker fans, because Eddie Nketiah's pressing was quite, he was impressive. He was impressive the way he was able to press and get around the pitch. And I know Arsenal have been linked to Jonathan David, who I think is another level on top of Eddie Nketiah. And I think that game potentially showed that Jonathan David could come in and be a, be the perfect striker for Arsenal. Yeah, well, I've said that a few times. I've done a few podcasts uh, over the past year or so. Um and whenever I've been asked about Arsenal tips in terms of a striker, I've always mentioned David. I like his I like his record over the past few years. He's he tends to score at least like ten, fifteen goals in the league without penalties every year. Uh, he's a good age, he's very two footed. Uh, and he contributes to to build up players well. He's comfortable, you know, dropping into midfield and things like that. So he's a player who I would certainly be looking at if I was Arsenal. Um although I'm not sure how much he'll cost. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember. I think a, a journalist on Sky Sport Germany said around forty-six million. I think that's 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 a good price to, to have a guy. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, especially if you want to sign two strikers as well. That creates space almost for another striker. I've always said my ideal striker is Victor Seaman, but I think he'll be too expensive. So I'll take Jonathan David happily, and we shall see. Though, but that win, Josh, do you think that is really propelled Arsenal into the top four place? Because I know with the three defeats we had in a row, I was kind of disheartened. I was like, okay, okay, maybe top four is a bit unrealistic. Maybe we're not going to get it. But do you think this win has really put Arsenal back into, not pole position, but into a strong position to potentially get into those places? Yeah, it's it's very difficult, this one, to predict. Uh, a few weeks back, it did look like it was not done, but it looked like it was edging towards towards that because Arsenal were, were 
you know, playing once a week, it was relatively easy. They were winning comfortably. Uh, but then out of nowhere, since I last recorded those shows, they've picked up one or two injuries, crucial injuries as well. And it just it just disrupts with the makeup of your squad. Um it's it's you can essentially flip a coin for me. Uh, I do think it's out of two teams. I'll be furious if Manchester United somehow find a way in there. I, I, I think I'll be amazed, honestly. Uh, so it's out of two teams for me. Uh, if I'm honest, right now, I would lean slightly towards Spurs purely because of the the game between the two teams, which is at, you know, towards White Hart Lane, isn't it? So um, I do think that could prove to be potentially decisive. And I think, I think Jamie Carragher has touched on this as well. I think in terms of individuals, you know, the individual level of certain players, I do think Kane is probably the best. I think the second best is probably Son. So you could argue the two best players across those two clubs play for Spurs. You can win games on their own. But I do think in terms of team effort, they're not far off each other. I think it's quite close. So it's interesting. But what about you? Yeah, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence here as well because <laughs> I think before the three games happened, before the three defeats, and before the part the injuries to Thomas Partey and Kieran Tierney, I was quite confident with Arsenal. But I remember in the Crystal Palace defeat, as soon as Partey pulled up and his and his fire was done, I was like, Oof, this yeah. is bad because without Thomas Partey, Arsenal just seemed to collapse, and that was proven against uh, Brighton and uh, Brighton and Southampton. But now we beat Chelsea, which I'm surprised about. I think if we beat Manchester United. I'd have a lot of confidence because I think that's the last top six team other than Tottenham we have to play, of course. But Spurs have to go to Anfield, and I think that result is almost a confirmed defeat for Tottenham. So that does give Arsenal a bit hopefully. of confidence. Hopefully, hopefully, but I'm confident uh, Klopp Spurs will do it. So hopefully, Arsenal will have a lead going into the game against Spurs. That's what I think it is. I think if we are holding on to something by the time we go to and made it all by the time we play against Tottenham, then I think Arsenal can get it. But if we're chasing, then I am worried because Tottenham, of course, have the better goal difference too. But yeah, we we shall see. Yeah, I mean, just just for a bit of context on how close it is, I I obviously use I obviously reference five thirty eight fairly often yeah. on this podcast, and it's it's currently Arsenal fifty percent on to qualify for the Champions League, Spurs forty nine percent on. <laughs> so oh, that is as good. That is as close to a coin flip as you can possibly imagine. So. It is going to be. It's going to go down to the wire, as like as it is with the title race, and as it probably is with the relegation fight as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think we've had such a such an interesting season, end towards the season like this in, yeah. a, in a few years now. And I can't remember the last time it's been like almost every position or every like achievements up for grabs or every relegation. So we shall see how it goes. And with the five three, I remember Arsenal had sixty eight percent probability of getting into Champions League, and that just decreased game by game. It is worrying, but. Hopefully now we'll increase in Arsenal's favour again, but we shall see. But guys, we are going to end the show there, so make sure you leave a comment and you leave a like as well. Josh, as always, thank you for coming on the show, mate. Yeah, thanks for getting me involved, mate. Of course, if you want to hear more from Josh, just give him a follow on Twitter at Distant Covered, and also more articles and transcriptions will be coming out from this from this show. So make sure you give that a look out on football.london too, guys. And most importantly, make sure you keep following us down the Arsenal way. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah.